Hello, hello. Thank you for joining us here in the CTO studio. I, of course, am your host, Nikolai Walker, on the mic and in your ear, my favorite place to be. We are joined in studio today by a gentleman named Baraka Startvet, and he co-founded the Digital Health and Emerging MedTech Practice, as well as the healthcare and digital health commercial insurance broker, respectively, for Marsh and McLennan Agency based out of Encinitas. So today we're talking about cybersecurity, insurance, and compliance, just to name a few. Etienne, take it away, please. As the founder of seven CTOs, I am constantly obsessively looking at what do technical leaders need to be on the lookout um, for as they build their companies. So there's an easy answer, and then I want to dig into the not-so-easy stuff. So easy answer is understands technology, has a history of technical leadership, blah, blah, blah. And when someone comes to me with that, uh, it's a bit of a snooze fest because that's the boring stuff. Sort of that gets you a seat at the table, but that doesn't keep you at the table. <clears throat> so what I want to talk about is is risk mitigation, uh, um, insurances, um, compliance, and all these things that that are really critical to a scaling company's sustained future. Um, but also the things that, you know, isn't necessarily something I want to work on as a human being. So why don't you introduce yourself to me and to our audience? <laughs> and That's great. So I'm Barack Astorfat. I co-founded and lead the digital health and emerging med tech practice at Marsha McLennan Agency. So I focus specifically on working with companies that are using technology to transform the way healthcare is done. So it's a very specific area of technology. And so from my lens, there's a lot of things that a technical leader needs to think about that are not just intuitive from working at a really large company or having leadership roles prior. And I think the biggest one to think about is how do you build compliance and how do you build controls around cybersecurity and those sort of things in from the ground up. What I see a lot is companies skimp on those things early. They just try and get to market, get get the technology out in the marketplace, get that MVP out, start start growing the business. But in healthcare, it's a different world from traditional technology. Traditional technology says work fast and break things. And that doesn't work in the world of healthcare because people's lives are on the other end of the equation. And there's a lot more regulation that goes on in the world of health tech and, and digital health than there is in traditional technology. And so you got to think about things like, how do I build in HIPAA compliance from day one, making sure that I'm CCPA, GDPR compliant from the beginning so that I don't have to go back and spend a bunch of money to do that as an already scaled company, which is going to be way more expensive than building it in from the bottom up. Yeah, the CTO has a huge role in that and in either saying like, we don't care about the details about compliance. We don't care about what the risks are. We're just moving fast. Or we're saying like, hey, we're going to be, we have a culture that does things well and builds high quality product. 
and does things in the most ethical way and in the most compliant way possible as fast as possible still, right? Because that's a, that's a CTO has to deal with those pressures, right? Like I've got to work fast, but I also need to ensure that I'm mitigating risks so something doesn't screw up the whole future of the company because we didn't build something right or we didn't put the right insurance in place from the beginning. Now, have you seen... Have you seen, and I'm hoping the answer is no, but have you seen companies unravel in the face of neglecting this type of um, activity early on? To some extent, when you're talking about terms of use or those sorts of things, absolutely. I mean, that's one legal way to, to manage risk, right, is in your terms of use as a company, you say, like, these things might not work. We're limiting our liability to X. You under, you're saying that what you're being provided with is not medical advice and it's just a technology that you're utilizing. I mean, there's a lot of ways that you can use wording in terms of use and contracts to be able to do that. I'm not an attorney, so nothing I'm saying is legal advice, but um, but at the same time, I think building those things in is one big way to mitigate risk in addition to making sure that, you know, if the bad things happen, you have the proper insurance backstop. You also want to really build in that risk mitigation into the way that you're your contracts and your terms of use are done. And so skimping on working with an attorney that really doesn't understand um, these things in the beginning is important, even for technical leaders to just be tuned into that, right? Like, what are we, what are, what risk are we taking on? I'm trying really hard to do, which is to raise early awareness that um, this is actually not a thing that you do. It's actually a, a culture that you establish inside of your tech company and who better than the CTO to lead that charge. Mm -hmm. Yep. So let's talk about, um, so you're in the insurance industry. So can you give me sort of a, a one-on-one on, uh, and, and the must have insurances. Now I know you, you specialize more in the health tech space, correct? Uh, but even in the health tech space, doesn't matter. Um, Maybe as broadly as you can, what insurances uh, helps us in mitigating risk? And then maybe we can go deeper and deeper into specifically around health, what, what is necessary. Yeah. So general framework is everybody, from, usually from the beginning, you're going to get a general liability policy or package policy. It's going to cover, you know, business-related lawsuits, direct bodily injury. You're out doing an install on someone's site. You trip someone, something falls over on somebody. You want to have that basic package. Workers' compensation is going to be required for all W-2 employees by law, so you're going to have to have that. And then the two big ones for a tech company specifically are going to be errors and omissions coverage. What that does is that covers financial injury to a customer. So a lot of technology companies are B2B, you know, B2B tech providers, right? And they're buying it to do certain things or to be able to do their business, they need it. So if your tech doesn't work, it could end up costing them revenue or costing them income, and they'll come after you. They'll sue you for that. Right. Or if you unintentionally breach your contract with them based on a technology failure. Right. You want to make sure that you're covered for that exposure. Those are those are when, you know, disagreements and those sort of things. And I've seen some, you know, there can be sizable lawsuits on that. And the other big one that I think has gotten a lot of press lately, but is ever more important is, is cyber liability insurance. Um, 
and that's going to cover data privacy and security lawsuits. It's going to cover regulatory fines and penalties, HIPAA, high tech issues. Plus, it's going to cover any losses that you sustain as a business as a result of a cyber attack, uh, loss of income, having to replace computer systems, cost to restore data. Okay, so I am a tech company. Um, I'm CTOing. We're getting traction. I have pushed off all this mumbo jumbo until later. I um, I want to squeeze every ounce of productivity out of every dollar. Misguidedly deciding to hold off on everything. Sounds like you're saying general liability, which hopefully your CEO has already introduced, and it's like ha ha. Why are we even having this conversation? I will admit that I've worked for companies where we're like, oh, wow, we actually don't have general liability insurance. So, so yes. Uh, the second thing I'm hearing, workers' comp, which in, in probably most startups who have W-2 employees have nailed down, they, they, they got that. So we're all good to go. Um, then there's the errors and omissions, as you just said. So basically another company my customer is building their livelihood using some critical service that I provide, which is indirectly, directly, whatever, impacting their livelihood. And ENO insurance protects me against something that happens, is a downtime on my end, customer couldn't do their work, they get upset, they sue us. Um, I think you mentioned, so you said any financial injury to my customer, E&O insurance will protect me against that. Um, and then, like you said, cyber liability, where if I, where I am down because someone attacks me, denial of service attack, something goes wrong, I can compensate for my losses by by um, having this insurance kick in. The policy also builds in coverage for those regulatory fines and penalties that might arise from a cyber event. And that's a big thing that a lot of people don't think about in a cyber policy, but it's really important because those fines can be almost, usually they'll start at seven figures. And usually you can negotiate them down, but they're, they're sizable. It'll also cover a big thing I think that is is big in, in certain industries is if there's regulatory issues, right, around PCI, you know, payment card handling, if you're direct to consumer and you're handling credit cards, or um, HIPAA, if you're handling healthcare information in some way, shape, or form. So is the two-pronged approach then to say, yes, comply, 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 but on the back end, be insured, insured, insured? Cyber criminals are always a step ahead of the controls you have in place to stop them, right? Because we create the controls in response to something new that happens in the world. And so regardless of how amazing your system is, which it probably is, a good CTO is going to do a really good job of protecting systems and making sure that things are controlled. And you're probably pretty proud of that. But the problem is there's some new vector of attack out there that no one has seen yet. And that is going to come in in a way that maybe you didn't expect. And so that's where the insurance backstop is really helpful because regardless of how much you put into doing things the right way and protecting your systems, there's always going to be that new thing that 
no one considered. Are you, so how often do you, in your business and, and in your process, how often are you talking to the CTO? More often today than I was two or three years ago, which I'm really grateful about. Um, part of it is the cyber market has just gone downhill. There have been three times as many ransomware attacks in the last year and a half as there were two years ago. So um, attacks are on the rise. Carriers are getting more tight around the information they want. And who has all that information? The CTO does, right? The CTO knows all the controls that are in place and is managing that process from a high level. And so getting the CTO to the table is really important and having a good, for a tech company, whether health tech or pure tech, getting the CTO to the table to talk about insurance as well as the controls and the processes that are in place is really important. Whereas a few years ago, you know, a, a growth stage startup, like oh, we would only talk with the CEO and we'd only talk with the CFO. And then they might, you know, send a request to the CTO to answer five questions they didn't know the answer to. But today it's just, it's a different world. Carriers are requiring more, attackers are getting more sophisticated and CTOs are now at a strategic place um, when it comes to managing risk and compliance. Do you, um, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but can you highlight maybe um, a couple um, data points or requirements? Like let's say I decide, okay, I'm listening to the show. I need to go and get my E&O insurance. Can you give me an idea of kind of what type of information is going to be required? And then the same maybe for the, the cyber policies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good question. So from the E&O side, it's going to be a lot of underwriting. What's your business model? What technology services are you providing? And then they'll probably look at a standard contract in terms of use because they're going to look at what risk are you actually transferring to the customer? What are you keeping that creates risk that the customer could sue you, right? So those are the big things from an E&O perspective. It's pretty straightforward. Look at, the, look at what you're doing, look at the contracts and see what the exposure is. And that's what's needed. From a cyber perspective, they're going to look at everything that you have in place in terms of controls. So they're going to be looking for, you know, are you HIPAA compliant? Are you PCI compliant if you're holding credit card or healthcare information? They're going to look for the controls that you have in place around your systems. So they're going to look for the big ones now are endpoint protection, uh, endpoint detection and response, multi-factor authentication. They're going to be looking for encryption everywhere, firewalls, antivirus. I mean, they're going to look at all the different controls that you're putting in place to really protect your systems, how you're managing access from your employees to your systems. Um, it's a much more detailed underwriting process now. And, and almost every carrier now is requiring a ransomware supplemental. So just answering maybe 15 questions around, are you training your employees on ransomware? You helping them not to open phishing emails? Are you? So it's just way, I, I see you shaking your head and I'm like, yeah, it's just, it's way more information than was required a year ago even. I could just go online and get a quote that was bindable a year ago with your revenue and the number of patient records you had. Um, and today it's a, it's a bit of a different world out there. If I 
If I am completing applications like this, am I, I'm self-disclosing, correct? Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's, whether you are upfront or detailed or, or um, conscientious about completing these or whether you're just doing it to just get the CEO off your back. <laughs> Those are, you know, that's a great question. And, and I've seen claims denied in the past because the application is a warranty. So basically you're saying, when you sign that application, you're saying everything in this application is true to the best of my knowledge. So to the best of my knowledge is a good qualifier, but to the best of your knowledge, whoever's signing it says these things are true. And if it's discovered that things were not in place that you said were in place when, and there's a claim, then that claim may not be covered. Right, because you failed to you you didn't you didn't fulfill your duty of honesty in completing the application. So you want to make sure it's accurate. Yes, there's some things that can be interpreted different ways, and you can put a general answer, and that's totally fine. But I always tell people be careful to just make sure that you feel really good about the answers that you're putting in an application, because it can come back to bite. And 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 is this does this is this where someone like yourself comes into play where? Uh, you basically hold the hand of the person filling it out. Like, listen, you said that you have weekly Friday meetings, but unless we are able to show it on the calendar, the adjuster might, or the, the whatever, the claim ex- expert, whatever, might come and say, you say you've been training people on ransomware, but but there's no proof about that. Yeah, I mean, I think you want to maintain documentation. Yes, we do a lot of hand-holding around hey, you've got to be comfortable with that these things are true. Like, are they going to audit that you did every single Friday meeting if you missed a week? No, I, they're not going to do that. But um, if you never have meetings and you say you have them every week, that could be a problem, right? Um, or if you say you have certain controls in place, if you say you have endpoint detection and response and you don't, that could be a problem, right? Okay, so for instance, if I... Um... I mean, I, I wonder how technical this can get because, you know, you can have certain ways of authorizing uh, your API endpoints and you can, there's multiple ways of doing it and there's OAuth, there is authentication tokens in HTTP headers. I mean, how sophisticated... They're, they're not super sophisticated. So I, I don't want to over... I don't want to make people afraid that this is going to be crazy and you're going to get audits of how you actually did these things in your systems. It's not that crazy. If you feel good about saying like, I have this, like there are multiple versions of this and mine's this version, but you know, I I think you can feel comfortable about your answers on an application without doing anything um, too crazy in terms of audit. Yeah, and, and and that's on the insurance side, right? Obviously, if you're going for certification... HIPAA audits, SOC 2 certifications, much more involved, right, um, from that perspective. So to get those certifications, it is going to be more involved. Um, but those things also make money for you, especially if you're, you know, like that's going to be table stakes for a lot of customers for companies. They're going to want to see HIPAA compliance. They're not going to give you any PHI unless you say you're HIPAA compliant. And you better at least have some external source that has verified HIPAA compliance if you're going to put that on your website, right? <laughs> um, so, so that's something that you know I think a lot of companies miss early on is just like, all right, let's build this, 
let's get let's do the process to actually verify that it's in place because that's actually going to drive revenue. There's a cost associated with it, but a lot of people aren't going to come to the table unless we have it. Yeah. So for instance, if I'm in the healthcare industry, I can't not be HIPAA compliant. Is there a way to, to guide people or CTOs on the, the, the dollar value of the insurance, like what, what that should be? So for instance, uh, there's the premium, right? But something I find a little interesting always is, is oh, well, do you want to be insured for $10 million or $100 million? And I'm like, I, I don't even know how to answer that question. <laughs> and there's, there's great resources. You know, there's a lot of fintech companies that have, or like tech companies that have gotten into cyber insurance. And one of the things they do is they'll actually run scenarios for you based on your business They'll say, hey, based on, based on your business, here's what could happen, and here's a scenario of how much it could cost you. I just was working on one today. It's like, hey, listen, a breach could cost you a million dollars, right? And here's the different buckets of what that could look like based on your size, based on what claims data we have from your peers. And there are others, you know, Net Diligence has a model out there. Verizon has a model. There are multiple kind of loss scenario models out there that help. And I always encourage people as like, you have to make a pragmatic decision, right? Of like, what's the maximum cost, right? That's of what could go wrong. And that's a dollar, you know, how, how do you, do you select that as your limit? Or do you do something that's like, okay, 95% of the time, a claim is going to be less than this. And so I'm comfortable with insuring tax. And it's just a thoughtful process that a CTO has to think through um, with their leadership team of, what, what really makes sense? And what are my peers buying? I mean, that's another question that I get asked all the time. And we have benchmarking data that we provide for our clients on, hey, based on your revenue base and the industry you're in, here's kind of what our clients are typically buying. Mm, yeah, that's, I, I guess that's pretty helpful because, um, so if I say I'm a $10 million company with a staff of 20 developers and our MRR is this and blah, 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 you Tinky, 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 tink, and then yep. here's here's what you know based on our peer list of sixty five peers under twenty five million in revenue. Here's here's what the here's what the median is. Here's the first quartile, third quartile, you know, in terms of what your peers are purchasing. Okay, okay, and um, so let's talk a little bit about internally to the organization. So. I know you have E&O insurance, but there's also D&O insurance, right? So do you work with that as well? Yeah, I do. And, and that's something that, you know, I, I say companies need to think about at certain points in their growth trajectory. Some companies, if, if you want to bring in a high net worth individual on the board, sometimes it's going to be day one. You're going to have to have D&O insurance to get somebody on the board. For other companies, they may be like, hey, listen, like we're three co-founders, product's not out in the market, it's very limited. Dino insurance costs a minimum of $6,000 a year. I'm going to wait until I raise a sizable Series A and I'm getting uh, an institutional investor on board before I do that. So there's different thought processes around that. Um, we do place that insurance and we really work hard with our clients around understanding their risk tolerance. 
helping them know what's covered under that policy, right? Because it protects the personal assets of the directors and officers, including the CTO, right? If the CTO is named in a lawsuit against the company for breaching their fiduciary responsibility or other things like that, um, that policy covers them, even if the company goes bankrupt. Yeah, and, 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 and as an officer of a company, there is a certain exposure, right? Absolutely. Yep. You're responsible for having a duty to the shareholders of the company, right? Um, to your customers, to your competitors, in terms of the way that you operate your business and the things that you do. And so it is an exposure to think about. Like I said, it's, it's lower exposure early on because it's just less likely when you don't have a lot of assets and not a lot of customers out there that could potentially sue you and competitors aren't worried about you yet. Less likely, right? But still a possibility. The scenario where, let's say, for instance, a CTO botches something pretty badly, uh, you know, and the, the, the company hemorrhages clients as a result and the MRR goes down, the CTO would not need insurance against its own company, right, to protect him or herself from the shit show. It's very atypical to see a company sue an individual for doing their job poorly. You fire that person or – but the scenario where DNO is helpful is, is if you as an officer are named in a lawsuit either – lodged against you from customers or from people who feel like your company did them harm through your technology or something like that? Yeah, it depends. The DNO policy would respond around claims around fiduciary duties or your responsibilities in management of the company, right? So if let's say it was a bodily injury claim or something like that, that you did, that's going to be covered somewhere else, right? Or, um, Sexual harassment is going to be covered under an employment practices policy, which I say, once you hit 25 employees, you should probably think about that, especially if you're in heavy employee-friendly jurisdictions like California, New York, Florida, Illinois, um, to name a few. So, um, but they're, they may be covered under different policies for different things, but when we're talking about management of the company and harm breach of your duty to be able to do your best work and to act on behalf of the shareholders and the company. Um, that's what a DNO policy is really designed to provide on behalf of. Okay. So we can kind of wrap up. So, uh, I'd love to hear if there's anything else that you specifically want to highlight. So I'm open to that direction. Um, but it sounds to me like in your role, you have uh, companies that are pursuing compliance from the, the plethora of SOC 2, PCI, HIPAA, you know, GDPR, CCPA, whatever, all that kind of stuff. Um, you come in, however, when um, any of those compliance issues, like to mitigate the risk of potential breaches or attacks against that style of regulation. Yeah. 
or if the controls aren't in place and the government decides, you know, the OIG in the wake of a breach says you didn't have proper controls in place. And so we're going to fine you a million dollars. You didn't have proper controls in place or PCI, you know, you didn't, you weren't compliant with payment card storage regulations. And therefore we're going to fine you for every payment card that you had on file that wasn't stored appropriately. Office of the Inspector General to his friends. So if you, you know, don't protect, protect patient information in an appropriate way, then you can get investigated by the OIG and they can levy fines and penalties against you, against your company for not appropriately protecting patient information. Okay, got it. So if you, you know, don't protect, protect patient information in an appropriate way, then you can get investigated by the OIG and they can levy fines and penalties against you, against your company for not appropriately protecting patient information. Yeah. And so that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't think about is that potential regulatory exposure. People that are in traditional tech and they move into health tech. Now you've got this whole extra layer of protections that you have to place around healthcare information, regulations around that, as well as are you actually providing medical care and the technology that you're doing and what additional regulations does that create? Is there, are you now FDA regulated? Do you now have exposure to medical boards in different states, right? So there's a lot of different exposures that people don't think about specific to health tech that I think are important to consider and make sure that CTOs are thinking through in the way that they're building their systems from the beginning. Anything else? No, I think this is fantastic. I think... Fantastico? Obviously, the work of a CTO in today's world is at the top of the list of importance, so much more important than it's ever been. Um, And so it's just fun for me to be able to talk with you about it and hopefully offer something that's helpful to a CTO in their work. But um, I just wanted everyone to know how much I appreciate the work that a CTO does and how hard that job is. Let's end with um, next steps. So if I've heard this and I'm thinking, I don't know if I'm covered. I don't know if I am subject to certain types of regulatory thingies. If I feel like I, you know, there's compliance issues that I'm unaware of, like what would be the next step? Um, And I think there's the, the CTO who hasn't started this at all. There's also the ones who worked really hard at it last year, but it doesn't have the energy to, again to do it this year, or maybe thinks that they've they're covered and but actually they're not. So maybe a couple practical things that we can walk away with that people listening to this can just sort of act on immediately. So then you would recommend having a conversation with your management team regarding regulatory issues. And what else? And then if you find out things are not in place that need to be Having a good and yet inexpensive attorney, <laughs> and, and I say inexpensive, you know, attorneys are always fairly expensive, but having someone who's reasonably priced hourly rates who can actually take a look at what you have and give you legal advice around those regulations. You know, my job is not to keep up on the everyday. I mean, those regulations are changing constantly. I do my best to help protect people on the back end. That's my role. But the attorneys really help on the front end with what, is, what does compliance look like and how do I set up a program that is compliant? 
Um, so that's one takeaway. The other is like, if you don't have the backstop of coverage, reach out, talk to, if it's not me, talk to your insurance broker. If you have somebody you really like and appreciate and just say, we need to get some sort of insurance, whether it's a basic limit, you know, million dollar limit is kind of the baseline for cover. Um, or do we need more? Look at those, fill out an application, get a quote and, and figure that out. Because I think those things are, are really important. I'm working with another company right now that didn't have it, ended up having a ransomware attack, thought they didn't need cyber coverage. And now on the back end, you know, they're having to pay $200,000 out of their out of their pocket when if they paid $2,000 for an insurance policy, the policy would have covered it. So, so, so ransomware in the fact, in, in the sense that literally, I mean, we're not talking about phishing attacks. We're talking about ransomware attacks. Pay us 10 Bitcoin or we're going to disclose your whole client list to the dark web, something like that. And the average ransom is 10 times what it was two years ago. <laughs> but you know it there's a business value to it and it's probably worth the if you really work on it together with someone it's 30 minutes right it, it might be 30 minutes it might be an hour of work right so well i really appreciate your time um you know it's 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 always the things that we you know either don't want to work on we feel like we have too much on our plates to even think about that or the stuff that we're just weak in or not knowledgeable in um, tends to be the things that we then avoid. And so my goal with chatting with you is to quickly get a quick overview of this and and just see that it is possible to get your back end covered in case something goes wrong. And um, of course, this doesn't substitute actual compliance and, and making sure that you get the necessary certifications or things in place that just protect your company from that type of scrutiny or vulnerability. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Thank you once again for joining us here in the CTO studio. And thank you to our in-studio guest, Baraka Startebet, who is the co-found who co-founded the Digital Health and Emerging MedTech Practice. He is also the healthcare and digital health commercial insurance broker for Marsh and McLennan Agency, respectively, based out of Encinitas, California. So do go check out his LinkedIn. Do always check out sevenctos.com and please subscribe to this podcast available here in iTunes. We will see you next week.